Take your Bible tonight, turn to Philippians. We're going to get right to it. Philippians chapter number one. Let's stand in honor of God's word. While I'm thinking about it, those of you that are here for the MRI, we have a meal up on third floor. I meant to mention that earlier. Maybe I shouldn't mention that right now because now you're going to be thinking about that and not about the message. But uh, anyways, we do have a meal up on third floor right after the service just to have some time of fellowship and get started. So look forward to that. Okay, uh, we just got uh, started in this series in, in Philippians a few weeks ago, really. And uh, so this is just sermon number three. So uh, glad you all could join us on that. Just thought it fit. I mean, where we are, I think as we get into it tonight, with the Lord's help, you're going to see it just really fits uh, those in ministry. Well, that'd be, by the way, all of us that are saved, all of us and, and all of us as we're in, engaged, involved in ministry. But I think you'll see why it would even fit a night when we have... Well, more preachers than normal. Is that, is that all right to say? Church, more preachers than normal and, uh, and song leaders and missionaries. And uh, we've, got, we've got folks here from all over. And it's a wonderful privilege for us to have you here from various parts of the United States. And, and uh, it's just, it's a wonderful thing. And so I think you're going to see why I decided just to stay in the series here tonight and trust it will be a blessing. In fact, the, the message in song uh, both that we just heard that Miss Sarah just sang, but also uh, the Trimbles. They had a they had a change. Uh, uh, Stephen's mom was uh, supposed to sing along with his sister, and and uh, she's not feeling well, so they had a change there. And so, uh, but nonetheless, the song that they sang, I'm telling you, it fits perfectly with what we're going to consider here tonight. So I'm very encouraged, of course, by that. Uh, let's just start in verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. Well, that's a lot of what we're thinking about here tonight. Your fellowship in the gospel from the first day. I mean, from, the, from day one when they trusted Christ as Savior 10 years prior uh, to the writing of this letter. From the first day until now. And then I love verse 6. I'm sure you do as well. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a blessing because there's a lot of work to do right here. How about you? There's a lot of work to do right here. So we're assured of that. All right. Then we covered uh, verses 7 through 11 last time that we were in this uh, book of Philippians and so let's read now verse seven, even as it is meet or it's, it's right uh, for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. You, you're going to see Paul just dearly loves this church. He says, I have you in my heart and as much as in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. In, in other words, he's saying I, you've stood right with me in the things that I face. You've been right there. Um, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You're partakers. We are partakers of his grace. We could not do ministry without it. His grace, I mean. For God is my record. 
how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He loved them because Jesus loved them. And then he said this, and this I pray, and this is a powerful prayer. I'm preaching this part of the message right now, so I don't preach it when you're sitting down and take longer, okay? Is that all right? You follow me? No, this is, I'm telling you, this, this prayer really had an impact on our church, I feel like, and, and on my thinking about it. It's just, it's powerful. This I pray that your love may abound, watch this, yet more and more. So they were a very loving church, but a very loving church always has room to grow, that it would abound more and more. And then he says this, uh, notice, in knowledge and in all judgment, we covered this, even though the slogan that's going around in the United States a little bit, love is love, that's not an accurate statement. Love has boundaries, judgment and knowledge. And, and so that's right there. We don't, definitely don't have time to get back into that, but that was, that was fun to get into. Okay, verse 10. <laughs> well, why did they need that kind of love of knowledge and judgment, like to know what's right? Well, look at verse 10, that you may approve things or be able to discern, approve things that are excellent, that are worth your time, that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So all that's one sentence, verse eight through 11. So uh, there's a lot to unpack right there. All right. Um, verse 12, message two for tonight. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the what? Furtherance of the gospel. The things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel and here, here's the result of this, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Here's another result, verse 14. And many of the brethren, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, so now he's thinking about the churches, the, the churches there in Rome, the church is meeting in the houses in, in Rome. And so he says, because of my bonds, many of them, of the brethren, notice he didn't say of the preachers, he said of the brethren, that means the whole church is supposed to be involved in evangelism. Right. All right. Much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some... Notice this, there's no break in the thought here. It just continues right on. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ, he didn't call that into question, does he? They preach Christ. What's the problem? They preach Christ of contention. Not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set. 
I am appointed. I am set. I am stationed. It's a military term. I'm set for the, for the defense of the, what does it say? Gospel. I am set for the defense of the gospel. Now, we're really just going to work with that. I do want to read verse 18. It, it swings into the latter part of the chapter, but it's very important for our understanding here tonight. When he says this, what, what then? In response to that, that some preach Christ of contention and of envy and of strife, but others of love. What, what then? What am I going to say to that? What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. I therefore do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. <laughs> All right. That's a little surprising, isn't it? Our series is called Countered by Joy. Countered by Joy. Because when your focus is on Christ, the trials of life are countered by joy. They are. The title tonight of this particular message is this, Undaunted in the Gospel Ministry. Undaunted. Not deterred not discouraged, um, not giving up, undaunted in the gospel ministry, why lighthouses have lightning rods, okay? Why lighthouses have lightning rods. That makes no sense right now. I hope it does by the end of the message. <laughs> may God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Um, while Angie and I were in our courtship phase, lighthouses and ships and maps and such were very uh, significant to us. I mean, they're just romantic. I mean, come on, they really are. You, you think about it. Um, and so I, uh, I really enjoy lighthouses. And we've, we've seen a few. We've seen a few. Uh, obviously, a lighthouse is a, a tower with the beacon, you know, the light. And, and uh, it's usually located on the coast or an island, or a busy harbor, or Lake Hefner. Um, and the obvious role of, of a lighthouse is to guide the way, to warn ships of danger, to guide them into the harbor. Um, and so they have a particular role and a particular function. As I, uh, as I studied this passage about Paul and I thought about his role in the gospel ministry and I thought about even his role within the churches where he had responsibility and where he was, as he said, I'm set. Okay, uh, somewhat like a lighthouse is set. You know, I, I, it's not budging. I mean, I'm sure all of us preachers have used the illustration about, you know, the, the lighthouse and the ship and the, the signaling that was going on between the two and the ship was saying, you know, the captain was saying, change your course. And the lighthouse was saying, change your course. And they kind of went back and forth. And, and this, the ship, 
Finally, the captain said, and he gave his, you know, his rank and asked basically to say why that this perceived ship ought to change its course. And, and then the lighthouse responded, you better change your course because I'm a lighthouse. Okay. There's no need to budge. Stationary. Uh, Paul here, as you, as you see it, as, as I began to study, I, I saw that Paul, in terms of his gospel witness, I mean, it was firm. It was stationary. It was, it was set. He believed he was where he needed to be for the sake of the gospel. It, there was no doubt in his mind. You could tell that he was fully persuaded, even though he'd been through some things, right? Even though he'd, he'd gone through some difficulty and, and he'd always wanted to go to Rome, mind you. He always wanted to go to Rome. Why? Because Rome was such a strategic location, I mean, for the gospel. If you care about the gospel, then certainly you would care about a city like Rome, like maybe we would care about New York City or or something on the West Coast that would have a, a strategic location, uh, or Oklahoma City, you know, of course. And, and so you'd be concerned about these, these metropolitan areas. And so Paul wanted to go to Rome, and he got a one-way ticket. All-expense-paid trip to Rome. Now, he went through some things, obviously, to get there. But, but the point here early on that I want to make is simply this. With everything that came Paul's way, in fact, if I could say it this way, with all the storms that came to his shore by the grace of God, and, and no doubt if he were here tonight giving testimony or conducting this service or preaching in this message, preaching this message, or if he were here being a part of this ministry refresher institute, he would say this, I was only able to do that. What I am, I am by the grace of God. He stood firm like a lighthouse. But then as I studied a lot of what was going on here, I began to think Paul was also a lightning rod because he's taken a whole lot of heat. And so I actually Googled this question. Are lighthouses lightning rods? Well, that was a dumb question. <laughs> no, they're not lightning rods. That's not why they are out there on the shore standing tall. That's not why they're there. They're not there to be a lightning rod. But since they're there, out in the open, and they're tall, then they attract it. You got it? I want to go into more of an explanation of that, but I think everybody gets that pretty well. I mean, I could quote Barney Fife about giraffes and talk about how that if they were, the dogs were giraffes and you'd be concerned about them, but you don't even need that illustration to get it, that if you're tall, you stand out, you better be concerned about it. Boy. If you haven't seen that, you need it. It'll help you. A lighthouse is not out there to be a lightning rod, but, but here's what I found. Every lighthouse has a lightning rod. And, and, sh and sure enough, I began to look at pictures of lighthouses. You can check it out later on your own. I never noticed it. At the very top, a lightning rod with a wire running down and grounded. 
to absorb the damage so that the lighthouse does not. Paul was a lighthouse. The church in Philippi was a lighthouse. The church in Rome was a, was a lighthouse. Southwest Baptist Church is a lighthouse. Centralia Baptist Church is a lighthouse. And the other churches that are represented here, Lighthouse Baptist Church, Colorado Springs is a lighthouse, of course. It's a lighthouse. I mean, it's, it's a lightning. It's a, it's a lighthouse. But hang on just a minute. When you stand, there are many times in the midst of a storm, you're going to attract some heat. I want to say to every member here of, of, of Southwest Baptist Church, if you're trying to lead your family, listen, young people, if you're, if you're trying to, to take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to stand for right doctrine, and, and sir, if you're trying to lead your family to, to live separated from the world, I got to tell you tonight that you are part of the solution. You're part of the, the lighthouse in this midst of the storm. But you also do need to understand this. You also are that which would attract some heat. And Paul is dealing with that and he's saying, listen, I, I, I have endured some things. I've gone through some things. Let's just work through the verses here. I don't want you to see this, but I, I want you to see why was it, why was it that Paul had what we maybe would call, why was he undaunted in the ministry? Because by the grace of God, I, I pray that your life would be undaunted, that you wouldn't be swayed or, or, or cast aside from the ministry, but that you'd be standing firm to the very end in the ministry. And, and that, lighthouse, that, that Southwest Baptist Church would continue undaunted in the ministry. How can we have that kind of ministry? And how was Paul able to endure all that he endured in all the circumstances that came to him? Certainly there were many circumstances that came his way. In fact, as you look at verse number 12 through 14, you begin to see some of those circumstances. He, and he, he gets into the body of the letter, having given thanks for them. And he's going somewhere with the, even the Thanksgiving section. And he says, I, I want you to understand this. I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me, all that has come my way, I mean, I mean the false accusation in Jerusalem, the riot in Jerusalem, the two years of imprisonment in Caesarea, the, the, the appeal to Caesar, the, the voyage to Rome, the shipwreck, the snake bite, the, the anticipation of being before the emperor in, in Rome. Paul says this, all of this has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. It would seem like those bonds. I mean, we, we really need to embrace this, this idea here. Here's a man that in his days of freedom was traveling all about that area of Asia Minor and so forth in preaching the gospel. We would think that now these bonds are going to hinder the movement of the gospel. Paul says this, actually, they've made it, made it be able to cut a trail further. And in fact... Some people have heard the gospel as a result of my change that, humanly speaking, maybe would never have heard the gospel. God uses some unique tools. For Moses, it was a rod. For Gideon, it was a pitcher. Uh, for, for David, it was a sling. For Paul, chains. But it was through his chains. In fact, for two years, think about this, for two years, a Roman soldier... In fact, as we pick up verse 14, he says that uh, my, my bonds in Christ, by the way, he didn't view himself as a prisoner of Rome. He viewed himself as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, and he says there that, that my bonds in Christ, let me look at it with you, verse number 12 and in and, and verse number 13, he says, um, 
Things that have happened to me have happened, fallen out rather, they've come my way. And, and maybe tonight it'd be good for everybody here, preachers and, and members of this church alike to consider what's come your way. What's coming your way right now? What, what's, what's coming your way? It would help us all to consider God's allowing this to come your way for the furtherance of the gospel. The word furtherance does mean that. It means progress. It, it means uh, trailblazing. It means advancement. So Paul says, all this has happened to me because they were concerned about him. They, they, they love Paul. They want to know how things are going for him. And he's basically sending Epaphroditus back to them because he's concerned about them. And he's saying to them, listen, I'm perfectly fine. God's been good. This has been difficult, but all of this has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. God allowed that a woman named Fanny Crosby would be, would be blind that we might see what it means to give praise to God and have blessed assurance. God allowed a man named John Bishop who was pastoring in, in Arkansas to, to experience spinal meningitis that we might understand what it means to have joy. Are you following what I'm saying? That, that all this has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul is saying, my circumstances have been rough, but it's, it's so the gospel can get further. How far? Well, verse 14, many of the brethren in the Lord, I'm sorry, verse 13 rather, so that my bonds in Christ. Now, when an independent Baptist preacher is locked up in jail, it's not always a good thing. It's not always for a good cause here. But here was Paul's only offense. He was loyal to Christ. I wonder if you and I could be convicted of that. And if convicted, I'd wonder if there'd be enough evidence to prove it true. That's your only offense. May that be our record. Our only offense is our loyalty to Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's offense was. And that's what he's saying in verse number 13. He says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. And there's great discussion about this. I do believe that he's in Rome. And this has to do with the, the praetorium and, and the, the elite soldiers. I'm talking about the, the soldiers that were, that were the emperor's soldiers. I mean, he's going to come before the emperor. And so here he is, and he's had an opportunity. He's says that, that uh, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, they are known in all the palace and in other places. In fact, in chapter four and verse number 22, he talks about those of Caesar's household salute you. In other words, some of them got saved. Some of them got saved because Paul, day in and day out for two years, was locked up, had a Roman soldier that came and was somehow chained to him and they would rotate soldiers every four to six hours. Paul literally had a captive audience for his testimony and for the gospel. I wonder in the span of two years, how many Roman soldiers heard Paul tell once again how that they needed to be saved? Amen. And some of them started listening. Well, what would they do for two years? I mean, I'm sure at the first they're thinking, oh, great, I've got to be chained to this guy again. Baptist preacher, an independent Baptist preacher at that and, and chained to him. How would you like to be chained to... How'd you like to be chained to one of us? What are you going to hear all the time? Preaching! <laughs> well, he says that in the palace it was known, in all the other places. In other words, everybody that understood that I was there in Rome because of Christ, they knew I wasn't there because I was a criminal, but they knew this. They knew I was there because of Jesus Christ. So that was a major impact, and that happened because he was faithful. He stood his ground. He, he was a lighthouse 
but, but also because of the unbelieving Jews, he was also, he had a lightning rod in the sense that a lot of persecution came his way from unbelievers and he's in jail because of that. But by virtue of that, now the gospel is going further. And I'm telling you, he is always concerned and primarily focused on the progress of the gospel. And that changed his outlook on his circumstances. So the gospel went further. It got to some Roman soldiers. The gospel went further. It got to some others that were somehow connected to it in other places. But then he also said this. It had an impact in the churches here. Look at verse number 15, if you're still there. I'm sorry, 14. Many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word, speak the word without what? Fear. See, what's happening here in Rome is that the, the persecution against the believers, as you know, is ramping up. And, and when hostility is ramping up against the Lord's churches, it's not time for his churches or his people to go into hiding, but rather it's time for his people to take a daring and courageous stand for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul says, here's what happened. They heard about my bonds and by, by hearing of my bonds, it emboldened them. They were emboldened to share the gospel. They got fired up. I'll tell you right now, I'm reading um, the last letters of some of the people that died in China with the China Inland Mission and other, others during, the, uh, during 1900, 1901. Humbling hiding for weeks and months in caves and, and uh, writing their last letters. It's humbling. We know nothing of true difficulty. Paul says um, they're waxing confident. I, I tell you what it has done in my heart and life. If they went through that, I can go through this. If they went through what they went through there, then I certainly can go out and knock doors here and be emboldened. You see, that's what he's saying. So they are emboldened in the gospel and, and they're giving witness, they're giving testimony to the gospel. But then notice this, this is very unique. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. If you do a study on the word envy and strife, here's where you're going to find it. Galatians chapter five in the works of the flesh. Uh, Titus chapter three, what they used to be. Uh, you'll find it in other portions of the New Testament as well about strife and jealousy, envy. He says, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. You'll find it in first Corinthians. And some even of goodwill, right? And then he expounds on that in verse 16. He says, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So he says, let, let me tell you what happened. Two groups got emboldened to preach the gospel. Okay. One group loved the Lord and loved me and they're, they're on fire. They're sharing the gospel. There's another group that's also sharing the gospel. I, I, don't, I think we just need to take it exactly like Paul is saying here. 
Because if you studied out, you'll see some that say, well, he probably has in mind here the Judaizers uh, that would say things like you have to keep the law, the dietary law, circumcision, the holy days in order to be saved. Uh, you've got to do this and that uh, to be saved. He's going to deal with the Judaizers. That's chapter 3 and verse 2, and he calls them dogs, evildoers, and the concision. In other words, the mutilators. Um, here, he says they preach Christ. So I don't think he has the same group in mind. He, he's not going to say they preach Christ, but they're dogs. And they're evildoers. And they're concision. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this. There's a group here who are preaching the gospel, preaching Christ, but their motive is wrong. What's their motive? Well, we find, you know, here's the, here's the thing. Everybody still with me here? It's a little bit to think about, I realize, and, and I realize some of you had a long day working, a long day traveling, but I, I think it'll help us all if we'll get it because what, there's something here that we all need because God preserved it for us. And, and I'd, I'd much rather focus on the ones that, you know, did this out of love and they know I'm set for the, for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And, and Paul, I mean, he, he focuses on both of them. In fact, he says this, you know, whether in pretense or whether in truth the gospel's preached, that's what I'm going to rejoice in. But humanly speaking, you may think um, if somebody's doing ministry out of envy and strife and contention, shouldn't that be dealt with? Oh, yeah. Definitely it should. And Paul is going somewhere in the book of Philippians. Because in chapter 2, in verse number 2, he says, be of the same mind. In fact, in, fact, in chapter 1, he says, strive what? together for the faith of the gospel, have the same mind one to another, chapter two and verse two, Eodius and Syntyche, I want you to be of the same mind. So he's saying, listen, there can be some strife in the gospel ministry. There can be some jealousy in the gospel ministry. There can be some envy in the gospel ministry. There can be some contention in the gospel ministry and it ought not to be. And Paul is not going into all of that when it pertains to what's going on in Rome. And he's not necessarily dealing with it here he, other, in, other than just mentioning it and then moving on, which is really something that we ought to get. He's mentioning it and moving on because he's not writing to the Romans. He's living with the Romans. He'll deal with it there, but he's writing to them. So when he's writing to them, he's saying, listen, I'm sure you've heard about this, but there's some that do this out of envy and strife. What? Well, when I studied the book of Romans a few years ago, we did it at church, if you remember, on Sunday mornings in our adult Sunday school class. And the book of Romans, obviously, man, what a treatise of, of gospel truth and doctrine and, and, and what a uh, theological statement about what it means to be saved by grace through faith and, and, and what it means to be free. <laughs> but when Paul wrote this, by the way, five years prior to writing the book, uh, to the letter to the Philippians, he had written specifically the letter to the Romans ahead of time. Here's why. Because there were some there in Rome that had heard about his ministry. And he as a Jew, 
having a ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles, they had misconstrued his ministry as though he were saying, free from law, happy condition, now I can sin with Jesus' permission. But that's not what he was saying, friend. It's free from the law. There is remission. Jesus, is, Jesus has died and there is remission. Now I can be free to serve him. Are you following what I'm saying? I, got messed, I messed the song up, but you know what I'm talking about. But they were accusing Paul of being all about grace and sinning so that grace may abound. And Paul wrote ahead of time to say, absolutely not. I believe that you're saved by grace through faith and, and that not of yourselves. And that's Ephesians, but same idea. But there was this whole contention that was going on there. So evidently, hang on, evidently there was already before he arrived, these two parties that were there, these two fractions, factions that were there. And when he arrived, there was a presence of somewhat contention and some said, we're with Paul, and some said, we're not. Which sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians. And so when Paul was imprisoned, those that were with Paul loved Paul and wanted to be there to help him all that they could. Those that had some issues with Paul, again, it's, it's not the Judaizers. I want to be very clear about that because it's not. Because he's going to deal with them, but that's, that's a different group. But he's saying some, uh, some preach Christ of envy. Here's why. They wanted their ministry to be bigger than Paul's. They wanted their influence to be bigger than Paul's. They wanted their name to be bigger than Paul's. How do you, how do you see that? Envy, strife, contention. The word contention, when I look that word contention up, means this rivalry, party spirit, politicking, <laughs> um, trying to gain a following. How many likes they had? How many people were reading their posts? How many people were coming in behind them? rather than Paul. And so now Paul's down. Is this making any sense or do I need to start over? Are you following me? Paul's down. He's in prison. And so now we have opportunity to regain territory that we had lost when he got here. And we were here before he was here. And this is our territory. And, and you know that if you're in ministry that everybody's got their territory. I mean, it's my bus route. My Sunday school class Better than your Sunday school class. My part in the choir, more important than your part. My part in the quartet, more important than your part. My preaching better than your preaching. My singing better than your singing. My work in the nursery better. I don't know if that's a qualification, but my, I'm more liked in the nursery. Well, all right. I, I've got a bigger bus route than you do. Hey, you, listen, I'm telling you, friend, listen, as I studied this, I began to realize the same thing that was going on back then is the same exact thing that can go on now in terms of what size the church is, what size the bus route is, or what size the class is, or what size the preacher is. I'm not talking about physically, but I'm talking about how big his name is and, and how many people follow him or what meetings he preaches in or what class that he teaches or what deacon is most important or what trustee or, or what missionary is the most well-known. I'm telling you, the same spirit of, of jealousy and envy and strife can plague our day as well. And in the midst of that, this day and time, even as Paul stood as a lighthouse and even as, as lightning was kind of 
coming his way. Listen, he deflected it. Why? Because he, what, please pardon the pun here for just a second, but he was grounded. He was grounded in Christ Jesus. What I'm trying to say tonight is simply this. Paul was undaunted by his circumstances in the ministry because he was focused on the progress of the gospel, not the promotion of his name. Because when we get focused on the promotion of our name or the promotion of our class or our ministry or whatever it is that you want to fill in there, I'm telling you, friend, the focus gets off. And then when you're not getting the accolades and the attaboys and the, and the old mans, then, then listen, you can get depressed and pout and discouraged. And you think nobody likes me because they all like him or they all like her or they like that church or that church or that college or that college. Stop it. Amen. Just stop it. Stop it. We are not in competition. Some preach Christ of envy. Some preach Christ of love. May God help everybody here to be among those that would preach Christ of love, not of envy and strife. Because we're not here to make a name for ourselves. Lighthouse, I'm sorry, what church do I pastor? Southwest Baptist Church. Southwest Baptist Church has been a lighthouse on the south side of Oklahoma City for years and years and years. And that all the glory ought to go to, to our great God. And along the way, church, there may be some that would, that would say some negative things about the church. It's going to happen. Come on, we're not above that. Oh, at Southwest, man, they're so narrow. They're, or, they're so, or they're so loose. We hear both. But wait a minute, we're not here to please men. We're not here to try to be everything that everybody else. And now we got preachers saying amen to this. This is a rather helpful church. And I, this is kind of awkward for me to preach it right now. But I, I got to preach to the church because that's what I'm called to do as your pastor. And listen, we can't do this for our namesake. Because if we do and we get in our minds, oh, we're this kind of church or that kind of church. I'm telling you, friend, there's going to be criticism coming. Then what are you going to do with that? What should you do? Well, what did Paul do? It wasn't like Paul was out there campaigning. He didn't have buttons. He wasn't selling books. I mean, I'm not against books. I, I, I am against buttons, but uh, he wasn't out there campaigning. What was he doing? Why did this come his way? I'll tell you why. He was set for the, for the defense of the gospel. He was set to preach. He did what God called him to do. He was going after sinners. He was trying to see a Roman soldier saved. And then before that, he tried to see other soldiers saved. And he tried to see high priests saved. And he tried to see other priests saved. And he's tried to see pagans saved. What was he doing? He was just going after sinners everywhere. And that not, not because he was trying to get a name for himself, but that, that because that's what God told him to do. And as he did that, people started raising an eyebrow and saying, oh, look, he's ambitious. I love Jeremiah 45, five. In fact, I think about it as God's Colt 45, you know, you know, that'll shoot down our pride. Seekest thou great things for thyself, seek them not. Don't seek great things for yourself. I'm just gonna be real plain and simple with you here tonight because God deals that way with all of us. We're not having an MRI here to try to get people to think, and promote Heartland or Southwest. If we, if we have, we are pretentious. Posing as though we care about the progress of the gospel when really all we care about is how big the school gets. Ah. 
I, I don't want to make it real sound like I'm losing it because that would cause some of you to lose it. But I'm just saying it's not about the name of a college or a church. I mean, only God knows my heart here because motives are tricky, aren't they? And if you men and you ladies are here um, because, and I don't, I don't detect that in any way, you know what I'm about to say, but I don't detect it in you. I'm just saying to the front, I don't detect that you're here because, man, I want to get on the cutting edge. I want to be known. I want our name to be out there. I, I, or ladies are here first time this year. You want to have a ladies meeting complete with decorations. I think if you're a lady, you ought to decorate. Men do too. Black and white pep, salt and pepper shakers. I mean, that's it. Two-tone. We got color. But ladies are going to decorate and do all that. And that's wonderful. I think you ought to do that because that's what God has set you there to do. Do it well. You're a lighthouse. You're showing other ladies how to be a lady. But don't do it for vain reasons because otherwise, then you got your reward right there. That you got your website or you, you've got, everybody's following after you and liking you on this or that. I, 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 I'm... I hope this is coming across right. But I, I, I got stirred up about this because even though they said they loved Jesus and they did love Jesus, Paul said they preached Jesus, but here was the problem. They also loved themselves. Divided loyalties. And if you've got a divided heart, then it's not long, but you're going to have a divided family and a divided church. And there's going to be division between churches. Not all lighthouses are the same. Not all lighthouses are in the same location. Are you following me? All lighthouses take lightning. Not by design, but by default. There are some of you here that, I mean, you've been laboring where you are and you've been trying to serve the Lord and you're just trying to do what God called you to do. You're just trying to preach what God told you to preach, even with the right heart and right spirit. But somebody out in the foyer might have been critical to you this past Sunday and you came here just like you've been scorched, just like... Out of nowhere, where'd that storm come from? They come, don't they? Sometimes it comes. We need God to help us to be focused on the progress of the gospel without the promotion of self. Why is that so hard? Because we're so sinful. Hey, I think Paul struggled with this. He's not above it. We're going to deal with it next week. He said, for to me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I, I'm not into this popularity campaign. Okay, yeah. They're taking some shots at me. They're preaching Christ. Preach on. <laughs> Did you hear his chain rattle when he said preach on? <laughs> preach on. 
They were trying to make themselves look big and him look little. And we can fall into that same trap. Try to make our ministry look big and others look little. Doesn't please God, does it? And by the way, I'm not against all the social media platforms. People tweet and carry on. (laughs) But I'm just trying to establish in in this day and age of self-promotion, as those engaged in gospel ministry... I believe we ought to at least pause to see why, that'd be motive, why am I doing this? And some of you wouldn't know how to tweet if your life depended on it. That's all right. But here's what you know how to do. Preach. And write an encouraging note. And send an encouraging email. And church members knowing how to pass out a track. And how to knock a door. And how to work a bus route. And how to be faithful in teaching a class and following up after absentees. And going after lost children and teenagers and adults. And how to witness at work. And if in the course of doing that, Somebody says, man, you're doing a good job. Then quickly praise the Lord. If somebody says, you're only doing that because you want the recognition. You only sang that because you want people. If they, they may think that. You, you can't control how people think or what they say. But you know what you think and you know why you're doing what you're doing. And, and you just be where God set you to be. I heard an illustration a few years ago that really helped me in this way. I think about it. A young man was struggling with criticism and also praise. You start out preaching, people are going to be kind to you. They're going to say, great message. (laughs) You're at the retirement center, at the nursing home. They may not have heard you, but that was the best message they've ever heard in their life. Right? Man, that was good. But then you're also going to have somebody say, you know, you didn't get this right. You should have. You didn't. We're going to be criticized. Younger man went to the younger preacher, went to the older preacher and said, what should I do about all this? He said, here's what I want you to do. It's going to seem real strange, but I want you to do it. I want you to go out to the graveyard. And I want you to go to the person's grave and I want you to praise them. Just say great things about them. And then I want you to become very critical of them. Just say some mean spirited things about them, ill willed. Just put them down. They're already down. Put them down. down. (laughs) Then come back and talk to me. Young man came back to the older preacher and he said, I did what you said, but I felt real weird. (laughs) What am I supposed to learn from that? He said, well, when you praise that individual, did they say anything, do anything? No, they're dead. 
When you criticize them, do they say anything, do anything? No, they're dead. And he said this, you're dead in Christ. It's not you. It's Christ who lives in you. And so whether they praise you or whether they criticize you, whether you stand as a beacon and others are helped by the light or you follow in the analogy, or whether there is a, a strike of lightning that comes your way and it seems like it's out of nowhere, that you get criticized for whatever, then just remember your life is hid with Christ in God and you're not your own. You're bought with a price and you're dead because we're supposed to be focused on the progress of the gospel, not the promotion of our names. Well, it's easy to struggle with the Sunday school lesson, teaching it, teachers, getting ready to have promotion Sunday, new teachers coming in. You can be concerned. Oh, I hope the class likes me. I understand that. I hope they don't take over. I hope we don't have a mutiny. That's a good concern. Really, here's what we need to do. I hope they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I hope everybody likes this sermon. How about this? How about as a result of this sermon, they get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? How about they say some good things about His name rather than your name? What if you never got praised? What if nobody ever said, good job? What if, what if nobody thanked you? What if you never got another handshake out in the foyer? What if it went that way? Would you still do what you're doing? What if nobody recognized you? What if you lived and died out in the middle of nowhere in some of you in some remote places? What if, what if you did? Would it matter? Hey, listen, I'm telling you what really matters is His name above every name. Amen. Struggling to get this message together. Everybody here that preaches understands that. Praying, God, please help. Now, I was struck with why are you, why are you concerned about this? about what other people think about you as a preacher? Or are you concerned about this because the progress needs to be made in the gospel? Because they were concerned about the progress of the gospel, but they were also concerned about the, pro the position that they had among the churches in Rome. I looked up and I have uh, in behind um, one of my work areas there, I've got a map of the world <clears throat> that's colored this way, green, yellow, and red. Um, recognizing, symbolizing the progress of the gospel. By the way, even the green areas still need the gospel. Yellow areas still need the gospel. But there in that map, there's a window called the 1040 window that is completely red. And I thought, are we having church tonight because we're concerned about the gospel getting there? Are we having church tonight because we're concerned about the gospel getting to the... Brother Ted did a ride-along uh, with the... With the um, as a chaplain, he did a ride-along on Sunday night with one of the police officers um, voluntarily, just so you know. He was riding along with him. <laughs> and, um, but he shared a story with us about a, a young 14 or 15-year-old girl, and I, I'm not even going to go into the detail of the story that this, this police officer, God help him, Right? 
some of the, the difficult and, and just, just I, I couldn't even describe what, what that officer had to deal with that night. Are, are we having church tonight? Because just right over here around Walker, Western, somewhere right over in here, there's a, little, there's a young girl that needs somebody to go over there and care about her and get into church and says, so Jesus, she can understand who Jesus is and that, that he truly loves her. Pretty basic message, I get it. I realize that there's others that have preached it before, like a John the Baptist that said, he must increase and I must decrease. Even the sons of thunder struggled with some lightning. Samaritan village didn't want to accept Jesus because his face was as though he'd go to Jerusalem. And they said, shall we call down fire from heaven? Zoof! Zap them. That's John the Beloved. The one who's supposed to be about love. What was he loving right then? I'd love to zap him. <laughs> I'm telling you, the disciples dealt with the same thing that we deal with. There's people you want to zap right now, no doubt. You want to zap them real good. You're a disciple of love. Yeah, I'd love to zap them. <laughs> we really need God to help us get over ourselves. In a self-absorbed society, we don't need to let that mentality seep into the church. Because I'll tell you another thing that we're guilty of. We're guilty of promoting the church more than promoting Christ. We're all about our ministries and how it is. And come to our church. Come to this. You'll love this. You'll, how about this? You'll love Christ if you come. If they don't love Christ, then why would we want them here? I don't mean that unkindly. I'm just simply saying we're promoting the bride rather than the bridegroom. Both are important. I'm not taking away from the significance of the church, but I'm saying this. There's a danger right there that the reason we're so much about promoting, promoting, marketing, promoting, promoting the church is because it's more about us than it is about him. What do we need to do? Go preach Christ of love. Not of envy, of strife, or of contention, but of love and be set like a lighthouse. And just keep in mind, every lighthouse needs a lightning rod. Father, I thank you tonight for your loving kindness. Recording this passage for us, you knew we would struggle even in the gospel ministry, but I pray you'd help us to be undaunted by keeping our focus, Lord, I... I don't think I'm the only one that struggles right here. I think we all can struggle with keeping our focus on the progress of the gospel out of love for Christ and not the promotion of our names. Oh, God, help us. Deliver us from ourselves, I pray, for the good of your churches, for the good of Southwest Baptist Church. I pray earnestly you'd help every family, every man and woman, boy and girl, young person, that, God, we'd stop living for ourselves and start focusing and living for Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together here tonight, page 607.